Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, fans of Takeaways. Here is another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry, and the August program was all about retail, but not just any retail. It was about the experience of retail. It was about retail reinvented. The panel was outstanding. It included Randy Aguilar, who is the director of leasing for all of Station Casinos, And hearing from Randy and his experience, he's done a tremendous amount in our community around retail. We had Frank Volk, Executive Vice President with CBRE, and Michael Casper, who's the Vice President of Business Development for Area 15. Now, when you listen to this and you start to think, wow, those panelists were outstanding, what you're also going to see is how fantastic the moderator was. Making her NAOP Southern Nevada moderating debut was Ariba Moten, Senior Associate with Colliers International. She was excellent. She's in the trenches. She knows her stuff. Good job, Ariba. All right, the program sponsor was the Southern Nevada Water Authority. And again, when they get into this thing, this category of retail real estate, the panelists, the moderator, these folks, they're in the thick of it. They're making these projects come to life from Area 15 to Uncommons to the brand new Durango station. And one of the takeaways for me, as amazing as things are right now and all the stuff that's happening, they were all very inspired and extremely excited about what's to come over the next 10 years or so. Okay, I'm going to go away. You're going to hear applause, and then you'll hear the full program from the NAOP August breakfast titled experiential retail reinvented thank you reed for the lovely intros is this on can we hear me okay so first i want to say thank you um thank you reed for the intro and it's an honor to be able to lead this panel i think i'm I'm really excited for everyone to hear what is going on in experiential retail. But first I want to start by defining what that means to me because I have a little bit of a different background and a different perspective than the panel. So I think when most people think about experiential retail, they're immediately thinking bouncy houses, Chuck E. Cheese, you know, your neighborhood stuff that you can go and have an experience with your kids. But we've come a long way. In traditional retail centers, entertainment users like that are historically restricted in CCNRs or in other tenants' leases because landlords and tenants wanted grocers or traditional retail uses that brought shoppers into a center. The shopping experience has changed so much over the past decade and even more so now, post-COVID, and now we're more focused on drivers that get people to the center regardless what they're there for. There's been a 180-degree shift and today's retailers and owners have a different view on these uses. And now they're seen as uses that can revitalize an asset and fill large vacancies at the same time. Once you bring a good experiential retail concept, which our panel is going to give you a good few examples of, they bring with them a diverse tenant mix, diverse visitor demographic, elevated branding, innovation, and a fruitful use of oftentimes very underutilized big box large vacancies. The center usually benefits from increased foot traffic, 
better sales across the board because you're bringing in these users that are bringing in more bodies. So I'm going to let our panel kind of speak on that. Randy, if you want to start, kind of just tell us what got you into where you're at now and what you're seeing in your industry. Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I feel sort of dumb being around all you smart people. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I started in the shopping mall industry straight out of college and I moved around the country. I used to work for a company called the, the Simon Group, owns the forum shops, another company called Forest City. Um, I actually moved to Las Vegas to open the gallery at Sunset as a marketing director like 200 years ago, it feels like. Um, <laughs> but as soon as I got to Vegas, we opened the gallery and, and I just knew in my mind that I was tired of operating shopping malls. It just wasn't my thing. I wanted, you know, obviously in Vegas, I was itching to get into the gaming business. And at the time, gaming, uh, as far as retail and casinos, it was very little. The form shops had opened, but that was, you know, it was still in its infancy. And most casinos, we had just really weird retail. Gift shops, they did a lot of money, but nobody cared about them. And we usually put them in the corner, that type of stuff. So uh, I started my career at the Rio. Back in the time when Rio was really cool, not what you, <laughs> I should preface that, not what you see today, but they're going to fix that. It's about to be again. Supposedly. But anyway, uh, we, opened the sec we opened the Masquerade Tower. We had some cool retail. It wasn't a, wasn't a whole lot, but it was cool. And then uh, we had a big spot, we had about 18,000 feet that was undeveloped. And they came to me and said, well, what do you want to do with that? And I'm like, I don't have a clue. Because I was still used to the shopping center model. You know, I had these little boxes. And I'm like, what do we do with this? It's, uh, it's four walls, there's no air conditioning, no nothing. And so luckily, by, by, which is, my, I think, my whole career by accident, uh, somebody called me and they said, we got this Titanic exhibit. And uh, it was one of the first ones in the country. And they came to me, and I said, well, there's the box. And I said, I'll give it to you for a good rate. And, uh, but you got to build it out. And I didn't have a clue about that nonsense. They came out, they built this cool exhibit, and we saw immediately, immediately, people were drawn to that. And uh, they did crazy business. And, it, it, you know, it's just cool stuff. And then after that, we did this exhibit out of Russia called the Peteroff. And that thing, uh, we, had, we had Fabergé eggs and you know, all that kind of stuff. And that thing really taught me the key about not just having a cool exhibit, but retail to go along with it. I had a, a store hooked to it that was doing like $60,000 a day and just selling books from the Peteroff. And that's where I got my first glimpse of these types of things. And so since then, we've seen the, the market uh, move up into that area. So that's, that's how I got into it. Thanks. Frank? Kind of a similar story, but not through like normal retail background. Most of my book of business as a broker has been up and down the Las Vegas Strip. Um, the Strip is generally like an experience economy already. I, you know, gaming is an experience, nightlife is an experience, food and beverage is an experience. Um, today's experiences kind of bundle those things together, right? So you're you're taking hospitality and bundling it with something else. Um, <clears throat> so they're a lot more refined um, and focused now. Um, than they were, you know, 20 years ago. So the market kind of came to me. Mm -hmm. Michael, you could probably speak to that. Yeah, so <laughs> unlike these guys, I've never actually worked in retail or, or kind of the, the commercial broker side. I started my career in venues, um, opening music and sports venues, which I like to think are kind of the original experiential experiences. Um, but they were only for a finite amount of time. And what's, what's changed in the market with kind of retail coming up with experiential is now it's a, a 12 hour a day operation with, with Area 15 hopefully leading the way. And being able to drive people to, to retail property 12 hours a day instead of those three hours for music has been 
an interesting change in my, my career and hopefully can get into Area 15 a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to start with something that when I was starting to look into competitive, so or, sorry, experiential retail was competitive socializing, which is a huge part of experiential retail. Basically the concept of you going out with your friends, eating, drinking, but also throwing axes or mini golfing or throwing darts like they do at the Venetian now. Um, can you speak on that and just how big competitive socializing has become in the industry? I mean, certainly people just don't sit around and have drinks anymore. They, they want to do something while they're, they're consuming food and beverage and Topgolf being a leader outside, but um, I mean, essentially it's bowling alleys. They're, they're all, that's the business model, sell a lane and then sell food and beverage off the back of it. So the business model isn't necessarily new. It's the, the increase of different experiences. So there's, as you said, ax throwing while, while drinking, which seems unsafe, <laughs> but I promise Very. it's fine. Go, go try it um, to darts, to, to golf. Um, it's really the, the kind of massively growing space. You have chicken and pickle opening um, in the suburbs out in Henderson. And it, it just really stems from that shortening of attention span and people wanting to do something as they're drinking as opposed to just back 10 years ago, people just sit around a table and talk. People um, are upset that Gen Z has a short attention span, but I think it's bringing good things to everyone. <laughs> Frank, anything cool in your competitive socializing area? It, it, it's, it's not just one specific tenant, but to kind of build on what Michael said, it's, it's you know, with a, I think the guy that, I forget his name, is like Stanley or something that coined the term competitive socializing. It really is taking an activity, maybe enhancing it by technology, pairing it with hospitality, food and beverage, um, creating an, an extended stay, therefore you're gonna spend more money. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's the idea behind competitive socializing. And it touches all categories. So there's one for soccer, maybe not necessarily yet in the US, soccer, shuffleboard, <coughs> all the things that he mentioned, like almost anything, batting cages, anything you, anything you think of that you would do, it's coming. It's already somewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Boulder, boulder climbing. I don't think there's drinking in that one. But. No, not yet, I don't think. So we're seeing a lot of these concepts on the strip already. Chicken and pickles going into the St. Rose and Maryland corridor. Where are you gonna see these concepts expand as they get more and more plenty? Do we see it going into certain pockets or how do you see that panning out for the growth of the city? Michael would say Area 15's off the strip. <laughs> area, area 15, um, but. Uh, I, it kind of depends on the, the use case. Um, the more land needed, I, I think pickleball is a perfect example um, of why it's not going on the strip um, or, or at Area 15, just because the amount of space it, it needs. You see certain things going on the strip like swingers, mini golf. Um, we're adding a couple um, competitive leisure concepts um, in our district expansion at Area 15, so I, I think it really depends on the size needed and and kind of what it appeals to in terms of that local tourist mix. Yeah. And I also think you'll see some that enter on the strip with a flagship, like a 20 or 30,000 square foot box, but also look at a suburb and go, can I do five or 7,000 square feet of the same thing, and is there a business case for that? And, and we're hearing there is, just hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. Randy, can you speak on Durango stations? We're all very excited to see that coming to life. Also the fastest moving construction I that I think I've ever seen right. in my life. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're super excited. It opens November 20th. Uh, we'll have the roads fixed by then, I hope. Uh, if you guys drive down, it's sort of a disaster right now. 
but we'll have that figured out. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Durango's going to be unique. It's going to be, it's taking Red Rock to the next level, which, you know, uh, it's, it's an incredibly beautiful property. It's got to have 80 million restaurants and uh, <laughs> we're going to open, you know, hope they all do well because I leased them all, so they better do well. Uh, you know, this will be phase one. We are talking about a phase two which will be, I mean, it's not a big plot of land, but there's a whole lot of stuff right there. And the great thing about that area, Frank and uh, his team did the Uncommons, and it's just, to me, there's such uh, critical mass in that area. And talking about these experiences and things, uh, when, when we were talking about this meeting a couple of days ago, I think Frank brought it up. Everything's an experience in a casino or wherever you go. If you go eat, that's an experience, right? If you go to a bar, that's an experience. You go to movies, you go to bowling, all these things. But I think the things that uh, I was talking today about, Michael, about on, on the Area 15 stuff, what they've done to me is genius. Because I've been, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and when I first heard about that, I'm like, I don't get it. You know, how's it go to work, man? There's some weird land there, and it's around all these warehouses and stuff. It didn't make sense to me. You know, I always felt that, you know, coming from the shopping center world, you had to have this destination, you know, the Neiman Marcus and all this kind of mess. What they did is unbelievably great I think for this market and opened up a whole new way of thinking and then if you look at the spear again I know it cost eight gazillion dollars and I don't know if it's ever gonna make you money but I tell you what to look at it oh my lord you're like man that just I, I call everybody around the country I'm like you guys have you seen this thing and I've seen <laughs> pictures everywhere you know and, and it's tough to be amazed in Las Vegas right but, but you know we're talking about today I, I think what we do in Vegas I think we're the best at what we do I think you guys are the best at what you do I mean, this is a crazy market. You talk about New York, L.A., Miami. Nobody does anything better than Las Vegas, Nevada. We have the best thinkers, the best producers. Uh, yeah, I'm running. Uh, so, but, you know, what we do well at Station Casinos is that we take, you know, I think, uh, you know, when, when, when tourists come to Vegas, they think we all live on the Strip. Obviously, we don't. Most of us don't go to the Strip except for special occasions or dinner or shows, what have you. But there's a real, and, and I think the success to our, to our company is that they realized a long time ago that folks like to stay within their radius, within five miles. And so, but for us, it's incumbent as we build these casinos to not build slot boxes, because that's really not where the money's at. There's a lot of money there, but the most important thing for us is time. And I used to work for Caesars Entertainment, and I really learned a lot about that. I always thought that you get a guy, come in, he's going to spend $1,000, we're good to go. You may not see that guy again. Mm -hmm. The deal, what, what, what Caesars did so well with their, their, uh, with their player's card, they didn't rate you on money spent, they rated you on time. We need to get you for two to three to four hours. We need to get you at our property. And so at sta Station, as we look at new things, and Frank and I are working on some stuff for Phase 2 that I can't, I can't announce yet, but we're looking at things that will keep you at our property five or six hours. And even if you don't gamble, we'll still get your money somehow. We get your time, <laughs> right? The right? longer they stay, the deeper you exactly. get in their pocket. And that's why if you look at our restaurants at Station Casinos, they're on the perimeter. So oftentimes, you don't even have to go into the casino. They have their own patios and everything. And that's, you know, and, and after the casino world where I came from on the Strip, unheard of from the old days. You had to go inside. But now we're figuring out what, what these guys and what you guys already know. There's a better way to get the dollar, but we need your time. And that's why the experience uh, concepts are so important to the future of, I think, gaming in this country. If I could build off of something that Randy just said, like the critical mass is important, 
Um, it's one of the things that, that we've really kind of focused on is having a lot of different experiences in one location because um, we find that people like to do two or three things at a, at a time. Um, and having a kind of consistent point of view, it, for those of you that have been in Area 15, the theming, the lighting, everything's, everything's consistent. And we've seen a lot of these kind of smaller experiential concepts open up in a mall, but open up by themselves as a one-off and, and you feel that it's in an old Macy's or in an old Dillard's. Um, and it just doesn't feel right, but it's also not surrounded by kind of like-minded experiences. And we're right now getting about a three-hour dwell time at, at Area 15 um, off the strip, um, everything about that. And we're looking to expand that by adding universal, adding experiences kind of as we, as we grow north. And it really is about having that critical mass and having all those things to do in one location because we notice that people spend an hour axe throwing and then they'll go spend another hour at the barcade and then eat and, and do those type of things. Um, whereas if they kind of have to go to one place for one thing, um, you definitely see less of that traffic. So I think this is a good transition into your big 20 acre expansion. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on if everyone else doesn't know about Universal and everything happening? So yeah, so Area 15, um, as part of our kind of parent company, Fisher Brothers, um, we sit on an 80 acre parcel um, that kind of runs up actually to, to our neighbors in the North Palace Station. <laughs> and um, right now Area 15 sits on 15 of those acres. We're expanding to an additional 20. Um, which adds about 300,000 square feet of, of immersive retail um, as that Universal Studios will be anchoring that as with a kind of Halloween experience. Um, we've announced iFly as a second um, tenant up there and, and we'll be announcing more. Um, and really that's about kind of creating that, that additional dwell time and also making Area 15 hopefully a, a two-day experience if we can get people to come out um, one day to do kind of the, the current building and then a second day to do um, the district and, and Universal, that would be a huge win. And I mean, that's kind of based on what theme parks are doing on a bigger scale um, with, with two gates and getting people to come back two days. Um, we hope we can achieve that here in Vegas. I'm very excited to spend two days there. <laughs> Funny story. Randy and I did part of the assemblage for the original Fisher Brothers Stations partnership when we were under roof at a brokerage house, and he bought like 40 or 50 houses. Yeah, he's knocking the door back there. and almost got shot a couple of times. <laughs> hey, I'll buy your house. I said, I'm serious. There's cash right now. <laughs> Beat it, kid. You know? All right. So can we talk about how strip deals are typically structured. Frank, you can probably speak to this. I feel like it's kind of a mystery to a lot of people. And, and me too. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we all can collectively decide how it is. Um, you know, it, it really depends on who's the landlord, who's the tenant. Um, today you're seeing a lot more traditional deals, especially in experienced stuff where casinos would say, hey, we'll stick you in the back, put you on percentage rent, give you a bunch of money. Um, and whoever controls the IP operates it. Um, now you're seeing more of them go get away from that model and go, let's do kind of a st standard, you know, landlord-tenant deal. So it's not atypical from what everyone's doing, you know, in the suburbs. It's you know, you have a landlord, you have a tenant, um, you have rent, and you know, you have TI. Um, the, the challenges with <coughs> entertainment uses is they're capital intensive. So you're, these tenants are spending, you know, decent ones are spending 500. 
up to like a universal will spend a thousand or twelve hundred dollars a foot. Um, when you're talking box type rents, it's, it's you know you're going all right. That's five years rent. So how do you make a return as a landlord? Um, so they have to look at it differently. Is going I'm getting a return on capital, but I'm also getting a million people in my building that I wasn't getting before. And what's the rev par for those people? Um, so all of those factors come in. We as brokers aren't on that side of the calculation. It's the landlord. Uh, but they're not atypical to what happens, you know, in the suburbs. Just the numbers kind of scale up. Okay. A little less mysterious now. <laughs> Randy, can you talk on how deals are structured at Durango and other stations' properties? Yeah, so what I like to do is get... Can I say slowly? 2000 <laughs> Yeah, slowly. Yeah, that's a big deal. I asked for 2000 bucks a foot in rent. And, no. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I think Frank is right. Look, it's all, it's all based around what... If there's if there's somebody we really love, that's so cool that we got to have them. We're gonna it's like you know, we're gonna make them a sweet deal. But but most of our deals are pretty much like you just said. It's a base versus a a percentage over a certain number of sales. You know, and obviously the higher the base goes, the their percentage rent becomes ridiculous. So I have to do forty million a month to pay you that kind of rent. Um, and then you know, but but the, but the biggest issue is building these things. Like you just said, the costs are unbelievable. I mean, I, I know you guys are seeing it, right? And especially. Just before we built Durango, everything doubled, cost of steel, cost of wood, and believe me, it was, it was intense. You're like, oh my lord, you know. Uh, but that's just that's cost of doing business, and we just have to figure it out. But our deals are simple. Uh, it, it, you know, I think uh, I've been successful because I think like a little kid, it's not rocket science for, for for us. It's there's the deal, there's the rent. This is what I'll give you. But but the key in casinos, if, if you guys do casino deals or work with casinos. Everything's more expensive because we demand a little bit more. You know, we want whatever we do; it has to have that wow factor. And if it doesn't, we'll have to replace them pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool thing about casinos. In some sense, in the old days, I used to work for a gentleman named uh, Tony Marnell at the Rio. And again, I was new to the business, but he was replacing stuff every month, restaurants. And now, you know, he, you know, he owned the joint, and it was his money. But he figured out quickly: if it doesn't work, let's replace it with the next thing. And so I, we don't want that to happen now because everything costs so much, right? So um, I think uh, we, as we bring tenants in, we ask for a lot. We ask them to look fantastic. We want you to have the best experience of your life. Like when you walk, you know, when you drive up to Durango and you're out there on that street, we want, you know, I think your experience starts from when you see Durango, when you go into the parking lot, when you get ready to walk into the building. Uh, I want you, I think, I think all of us as owners of those properties once you have that wow factor, so your experience starts right there. So everything, it's not a money factor, it's what can you do to make your concept blow everybody away. I want you to leave Durango and say, you know what, I've been in New York, I've been in all these places, London, everywhere, nothing is cooler than that restaurant I went to. So that's what we're looking at, and that's, that's what's driving the cost, but it's worth it for the tenant and for the landlord. So I think that segues into one of my questions that I was going to ask all of you, are just what are some factors that make up a good concept in experiential retail, and how do you choose who to gamble on? I mean, there's tons of people out there with great ideas, but you know, how do you pick who can execute? There's a lot of great ideas. <laughs> um, no, like for for us, it's about kind of finding people that can kind of tick three key boxes um, to to do this. And it's the great idea is is sometimes the easy part, but then finding someone that has a great idea is funded in a, in a way to kind of build to the scale that, that Frank's talked about, and also has the ability to operate. And it's, it's somewhat challenging to find p 
people that can do all three. There's only so many Meow Wolfs and, and Universals that, that have those three capabilities. And, and as Area 15, actually, we've somewhat changed our business model. And we're probably the exact opposite of Randy. None of our deals are simple um, because uh, <laughs> sometimes we're, we're partnering with the, the tenant to do operations on their behalf, or, or sometimes we're, we're taking a, a kind of equity stake in, in some of these just to, to kind of, it's such a young industry. And find, like I said, finding people that can do all three of those things is, is few and far between. But sometimes the idea is just, just good enough that, that you have to find a way to make it happen. I mean, building on that, those are definitely the three legs that, you know, I think you, you need, whether it's, you know, from a landlord side, for sure, or, or even as a partner, you need a couple of those legs. Um, you know, design, I think, is something that's key. So if there's, like, no there there to the moment, like, it doesn't matter if they can operate it. If it's not, you know, Randy says a wow, if it's not something that's engaging, it, it's probably going to be a loss. Um, it also has to, I think, be something that connects. So. Again, you could have great operational people technically, but if the experience doesn't connect with people and like the five senses and give them a great memory or whatever, or a picture for social media, and those are like tertiary to what, what, what Michael was talking about, but those are some of the things that you definitely want to see. We've seen like some of the <clears throat> like mature companies that don't have the IP or the ideas, like we're now partnering those guys with tenants that we run across, or like you got great IP or whatever. Um, but you don't have capital, or you don't have a signature, or you don't have operations. So we're partnering some of our clients with some of the new up-and-coming clients that we see because Vegas has become such an inbound destination for these type of uses mm -hmm. because of the success of like a Meow Wolf and other things. So we're partnering our mature clients that have operational you know, background and capital with some of the new guys and, and making deals happen that way. So I think that transitions into my next question, which you basically answered is there's a lot of challenges that come with doing these types of deals with you know, new tenants with bad credit, good ideas, no money. <laughs> no credit. Great idea, no, <laughs> no space. <laughs> so what are some challenges you guys are seeing across the board? You know, how do they sign the lease is a big one. Um, it's not as big of a challenge if it's like, you know, with the stations who, like, it's not a primary business, but if it's a new development mall, you got to credit enhance the deal. And if it's a high rent deal, you're like, two years rent is you know, part of your TI budget. So like, how does a tenant overcome that? They don't. So you have to figure it out some way, you know, somehow. Um, also, you know, configuration, and, and Michael can talk about this as well, is, you know, tenants, you know, in that space tend to need high ceiling height and big boxes. And for the most part, single story. So if you're talking about the strip, where do you find a 25 or 50,000 square foot box that has 35 foot deck to deck? And no columns. <laughs> and no, and no or, or no columns or few. Like, yeah. So, you know, so the physical requirement tends to be a challenge as well. Are you seeing the same thing in your realm? Yeah, the same. I mean, you know, you know when I look at businesses that, um, and I think Michael said, right, there's a ton of good ideas, a lot of crazy good ideas, some, some ideas that you look at and you're like, that's so stupid, it's amazing, it's going to work. <laughs> but... Uh, but the biggest deal about geniuses is you have to control them a little bit into a business environment. And in my, in my particular case, I report to the ownership. And, you know, these guys are pretty hands-on. They're smart. They, you know, they, they own the UFC for so they're not, they're not dumb folks. And so what I try to do to cover myself is I bring in these guys in to meet with them and sh share the vision of the, of the properties of, of what we're trying to do. But I think what these guys both said, to, to me, the most important part when I look at 
uh, these outside companies that want to come do these amazing things is one, uh, are they real, right? Do they have any kind of money? <laughs> and uh, and, the, and can they operate a business? That's the most important thing because they're super smart, but super smart doesn't always dictate running a business and, mm -hmm. and vice versa. So those, those to me are so important. And, you know, going back to the whole way we keep talking about it, the cost to build these concepts is unbelievably expensive. And I can't have some goofball come in and he's a genius, but he can't complete a sentence, you know? Right. And so th those are things that, that we really focus on. And, you know, and, you know I, I spend a lot of time with smart people like you guys. I'm always drilling. What's up with this guy? Is he real? Where is he from? Does he have any money? So those are things, again, simple things, but those are things that can bite you in the tail real quick if that person's not prepared. So that's what I look for. The other big challenge is some of sometimes this isn't that company's core business. Like exactly. we're working with a lot of IP rights holders from movie studios, toy companies, et cetera, and running a location-based entertainment company is not their business. So just kind of getting them along, they've probably never signed a retail lease before, um, but yet they're a kind of well-developed company. So they have lawyers upon lawyers and, and finance teams that are that are working through a, a lease and an operating agreement and, and these things that are just such a diversion from their core business. When we did Universal with them, Universal, I thought, like, they're this huge company. They know what they're doing. They never signed a retail lease before because everything they do in that category is inside their own theme parks. So, like, I'm looking at the LOI going, like, how do you guys not understand this? Like, and they're like, we've never done one of these before. I'm like, oh, okay. I think that's important to speak on, too, the fact that Universal's never done something like this before, and they're taking a gamble on our city. Um, can you kind of speak on that and just how Vegas is becoming kind of the place where we want to be? I'm sure Michael has some thoughts, but yeah, I mean, Universal, there's probably three other media companies that, that we work with that are entering the market and will be in the next you know, 24 months. The whole idea behind Universal is, you know, they understood the Meow Wolf numbers. Like, you know, there was smaller numbers being done in Vegas, but all of a sudden when you look at a box and it's doing, you know, tens of millions of dollars, there's a business case for them. So you go, okay, we, if that big box is doing, you know, X, we think we're going to do, you know, 1X. Um, so, yeah, you know, to them it was a market that they, um, there's data points for them to do something. Um, they're starting to do smaller, you know, attractions around the country or parks. There was one in Texas they announced at around the same time that was like 20 acres versus like the one they're doing in Orlando that's like $6 billion. But like, even though it's a big gamble, on a relative basis, a $100 million gamble for Universal is, you know, a rounding error on the books. Some will get fired if it doesn't work, <laughs> but it's still a rounding error. Vegas is unique, it probably only compared to Orlando in terms of the, the number of tourists that are coming in. And, and I think these companies understand from their experience with theme parks that having the revolving door of new customers means that you don't have to figure out the hard piece in a, in a normal market, which is how do you get people to come back two, three times? You just have to get a lot of people to come once. Um, and I mean, we're, we're seeing some return visitation, but being able to trade off of 40 million plus tourists is is a lot of a it's a lot different of a marketplace and then like Frank said they're getting smaller like everything in in kind of this entertainment business and location based entertainment is getting smaller on a relative basis it, it's getting bigger from retail because they need 20,000 square feet 100,000 square feet but that's a lot different than building a a theme park which is 
six billion dollar investment. Right. One thing I skipped over that province is Vegas is like was is, has been an experienced economy like since forever, right? Gambling is an experience, dining, shopping, we touched on it earlier. And as gambling has become, you know, a smaller portion of the overall tourist budget, they're spending it in different places. They're spending it on nightlife, they're spending it on F&B, they're spending it on retail, and now they're spending it on experiences. An experience experience. Right. <laughs> and I remember you were talking earlier when we had our pre-call about how these models are getting smaller and it's easier to keep up with innovation and trends and kind of adapt based on your market. When you're doing millions of square feet or huge theme parks, can't really do that. You're not changing Disneyland, right? Yeah, everyone <laughs> wants kind of the, the word immersive is, is the word that keeps getting, getting used. And, and really that's, that's about the blend of technology and, and kind of staff and different experiences to give a one-for-one -one experience so that, so that that person feels like an individual as they're coming in and they're getting that. And to integrate that technology into a theme park is near impossible especially as much of the technology is either unproven or, or new. So doing 100,000 square feet and introducing that technology allows for that new innovation and, and that change. Can you speak on anything in Stations Casino? Are you aiming for the more traditional tenants or are you kind of leaning towards, are you getting FOMO in the experiential <laughs> realm yet? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the good thing for us is we don't really do retail per se, but but the experience retail is what we're looking at. I look at, I think all of us look at what's next, you know, in, in our business, like in your business, right? You do a deal, you can't, you're only as good as your next deal. I mean, you know, because how you make a living. So for, for me and for us as a, as a gaming company, we're only as good as our next experience that we offer the guest. And what, what, what these guys are doing is the next phase of our industry. Uh, so yeah, we're looking at, I look at what the strip does and I'm like, why don't we do that? Why can't we do that? And we can, because we have some money. We can do those things, <laughs> right? But, you know, but I think that we have capability to even do some things that the strip guys can't do because they're landlocked. A lot of these, like, again, I work for Caesars Entertainment with all these properties. We didn't have a whole lot of land. You can only do so much. I had put stuff in the basement of Bally's, which was not good real estate per se. So, but we had to play around that. We have these boxes, we have all these lands. We can do great things that will still give us, uh, you know, these huge returns on our investments that the strip guys perhaps cannot do unless they have these huge boxes like Mandalay has to fill with their, with their new putt-putt thing. Um, so yeah, we definitely, I, th and I think you'll start seeing it at Durango. As we complete that property, you'll see some things that haven't been done in, in the suburbs. And we're super excited about it. I'm super excited about it. Now, once I get that open, I'll have to go back to opening like, you know, like uh, pretzel stores and stuff like that. But, you know, but these are things we're looking at. So, yeah, we, we are definitely engaged. You know, and he, he talked about pickleball earlier. I've, I've said to my guys, and again, I, you know, I talk about dart throwing and everything. And from a gaming standpoint, we're always worried about liability. To your point, somebody gets drunk, they throw a dart, hit somebody in the head, we're all going to get sued. But that, you know, that said, why can't we take pickleball and put it in a casino, in a casino, but take it to the next level? There'll be a club, people will drink, they'll eat. Those are the types of things that we can take even outside, you know, these parks, put it in our joint, you know. So all these things, they don't, again, they're not super, super savvy, but we can take what the, what the customer is looking for from an experience standpoint into our casino. And again, we'll get their time. And that's what we're looking at. Yep. 
Well, I think, speaking of time, we have a few minutes left, so want to just gather some closing thoughts. Michael, if you want to start, just what do you want us to take away about experiential retail? People are looking for a story to tell. That's, that's really why people come to, to Vegas and come to experiential retail. They want to go home, back to their neighborhood, and have this story that they can probably tell five times at, at different parties um, and have that memory. And that's, that's really what we try and deliver um, to the guest. And the photos, obviously. And the photos, the always. Instagram, I mean, the it, 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 Instagram is how 20-year-olds tell stories now, right? That's you true. don't have yes. to talk to people. Yes. <laughs> 20 to 30, I'd say. <laughs> Frank, what you got going on? I don't know. Um, you, know uh, you, know, I, you know, I think a lot of what Michael said, or what he said, pretty much you know, is going to hold true, probably even what Randy has to say. Um, I think you know, what the future looks like is vastly different than what it looks like even today because we're looking at deals that are happening two years out so like we and Michael like you know Randy some things we're doing we know what the landscape's going to look like in 2025 and it's going to be wider and more diverse and I think a lot a lot of companies operate at a much higher level and making bigger bets in Vegas Agreed. yeah I mean I think that's true I mean I mean you know, I think all of us, as, as we develop whatever, you develop strip centers, warehouses, whatever, we have to think five years, 10 years down the road, again, everything costs so much, we've got to pay ourselves back. But I look at like Area 15, and we talk about it a lot in our offices, Why, what are they doing that's so good, and can we do that in our joints? And I think that what you'll see in the next 10 years, Vegas, as I said earlier, I'm the biggest fan of Las Vegas in the history of the world. I think it's the greatest place. I think, I, I, I think, I think what you see today Lord, 10, 15 years from now, forget about it. We're going to blow it. This, this town will blow this world out because we do the best. I mean, I mean, I mean think about the talking about experiences, the, the sports teams in this town. Golden Knights, look at that. But you go, it costs you a billion dollars to go to a game, right? But you go for the experience before the game, right? Even don't watch hockey, you go. The Raiders, they win six games. You go because the Legion's cool, right? <laughs> you know? But those are experiences that you'll, you'll pay for, right? People don't be, I mean, you know, that, that's the deal. And so in casinos, what they've done so well is, is, is they, they created that vibe, but we're going way beyond that in the suburbs. And so, again, what you see now, 10 years, you're going to be like, oh, my Lord. Man, this place is crazy. And that's, and that's what we're continuing to invent in Las Vegas. Yeah. You heard it here first. There you go. <laughs> Randy for mayor. <laughs> I mean, a good one. Dan, where are you? Do we have questions? So I'm getting too much of attention now, but the one that really deserves the attention for this program is Mariana. I get a lot of credit because Reed calls me out and says DT and all this stuff, but it's the program committee that comes up with the idea, it was Mariana's, that puts the panel together and does the hard work. And maybe for the first time ever at NAOP, we as an audience are gonna sing her happy birthday today. <laughs> Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Mariana. We did get a lot of questions. This is a fun, fun thing to talk about. People really enjoy retail. It's around them all the time. Out of all the questions, and we'll try to get to them all, my favorite is, do brokers get paid? By casinos? <laughs> Randy will, but none of the other casinos will pay you. 
Well, <laughs> sounds like a no. No, no, they do. They do. They do. They do. Absolutely. We don't want to screw nobody. But there's over. a broker component in all of your deals. Not all my deals, but no, I meant the whole panel. Is oh, there yeah. There, but yet mine, there, there, there typically is. I assume there's a yeah. broker deal in yeah. most of Frank's deals. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yes, it is. I'm pro bono. <laughs> <laughs> Michael and yeah. Rand, Randy, one of the questions was, you talk about dwell time getting their people there longer. Mm -hmm. um, how do you measure that? And then I needed a couple definitions from you on RevPAR and IP for the audience. Um, you know, we measure it hopefully by, by their players' cards. Uh, that's they check in, check out? I mean, how does this work? Basically, no. No, typically is, you know, we want to rate all of our players. Everybody comes in, we try to get you to have a card, and, and, and the majority of our good players do, or even our average players. And so that's really how we do it. We gauge your time, and then, you know, you, you know, casinos are so sophisticated. They know exactly what you like to eat, where you like to sleep, what you like to wear, what you drive, your kids, all that mess. And so, and, and so that's how we gauge your time. And if you're only there for an hour, we need to get you for a couple more. So, so that's how we know something works in our properties. How do you, how do you gauge where they're eating? And, you know, if, there's just, if they're not playing, but they're there for five hours drinking, hanging out? To their habits. I mean, they may not eat that time, but they'll come out again. And if, you know, let's say they go to a yard house or whatever, wherever, you know, we know that they're there. And, and, and so we can do, especially in the, like, you know, in the steakhouses that, that we own, Cameras? <laughs> no. Facial <laughs> recognition. No. Typically, what, what they'll ask for is, is your card, even if you're in like our steakhouse, or, or, or are you a member? Do you have a card, whatever? We scan it quickly and we can see how much they spent there, how, much, how long they've been there. And then we can offer, uh, make specific offers. You know, let's say, like in Louisiana, a guy likes catfish. He's in, he's in a casino in, in Louisiana. We'll do a catfish day just for that guy. You know, so that's how we do it. You want to make them feel like they're at home and that, and that we're paying attention to them. And that's something that the casinos, I think, do better than anybody in the United States. They do a really good job at that. Yeah. IP is intellectual property. So like Ghostbusters, Sony owns it. It's their IP. They own the movie. They own all the imagery and characters. They could license it to you. You could open a Ghostbusters restaurant or whatever. And RevPAR? It's, RevPAR is, I forget the acronym. I mean, the full, it, it's the lift you get from investment. So if you say, I'm going to invest $5 million into this, I'm going to get lift, a, a revenue, revenue per person lift off that investment or new bodies in and each revenue assigned to that person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Michael, there was a question about what is the percentage of locals to tourists at Area 15? And can you speak a little bit more about Universal and that? Yeah, so the, the locals, the tourists, we're doing about 75 to 80% tourists um, at Area 15, uh, which we actually think is a, a pretty high percentage of, of locals for kind of asking people to come out and, and kind of experience. So, so we're happy with that split. Um, in terms of what, what Universal is doing, it's a, it's a Halloween-based uh, experience that will be open year-round, so um, you're horror-based um, with their IPs, they own a lot of kind of the monster IPs. Um, so it's 100,000 square feet of about 300,000 square foot expansion um, in our property. Another question was, um, can each of you talk about one cool concept that's already in the market but not at one of your properties? Spear. Um. <laughs> 
He's a paid endorser for the sphere. Yeah. No, I think, uh, again, going back to Air 15, to me, when I walked in, I saw the, uh, the axe throwing. And, you know, you know, I first got in the business, I, I couldn't even do like a tattoo store because they were scared about sticking somebody with a needle or, uh, you know, the, the oxygen bars or whatever. And so, and, and so I look at some of those, I, I would love to do axe throwing or dart throwing. I, just, I think it's, it's there, man. That's what people do. And they'll spend, again, time at your joint. And uh, those are the types of things I'm trying to convince my people to allow me to do. A follow-up question to you, are there any restaurant spaces still available in Durango Station, and do the owners own any of the restaurants? Uh, first question, no, thank God. Uh, uh, secondly, yes, yes, we own a steakhouse, oyster bar, everything else. This is different from our typical model, and typical, I mean, different a lot of casinos, again, because we're a gaming company, we're not super good restaurant tours in some cases. Um, um, we try to lease out everything. So, yeah, yeah so we'll just own a couple places. That's it. The, um, there was a question just in general in gaming. You guys represent, Frank, you see a lot of the strip gaming, and then you see locals gaming, and I just heard that you guys are going out to LOSI, or announced for LOSI, perhaps. It's not a silly question. Is everyone bullish on gaming, actual, the, the gambling portion of... Absolutely, one bazillion percent. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, our goal at Station Casinos is to double our portfolio in the next 10 to 15 years. And uh, we own land all over this city. And we are extremely high on gaming because the numbers are there. Uh, we just got to do everything else we've just talked about to get the people in the joint. And so, yeah, I mean, this town is, we're set to go for the next 10 gazillion years. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to ask for money and they're asking me how much I'm worth, <laughs> I'm going to have Randy go. <laughs> ten gazillion. That's how I lease. You got ten gazillion dollars? Come on in. Is there going to be a movie theater in Durango Station or any of your new properties? There is. Uh, you know, theaters are interesting now. Talking about experiences that have like, gone this way. Uh, but there definitely is. And I think you guys do one across the there street. So hey, there'll be tons of movies down there. I mean, you can't, you can't miss a, a, a great new movie coming out. You're in that area. So, yes, definitely. Well, did general and detailed question on escape rooms. Um, is that more neighborhood? What's, what's the escape room like uh, a, thought? Uh, uh, escape rooms are, are, are sometimes a challenge. They're, they're not a great throughput um, experience. And by throughput, I mean just the number of people you can get in in, in an hour or in a day. Um, and they're pretty, they're pretty high, um, high touch from a um, staffing point of view. I think there's some interesting models coming out on escape rooms. Um, I mean, I love what Jason Egan's doing with with Saw and and It and and Blair Witch in town, where he's kind of blended a traditional haunted house model with an escape room, which allows for for kind of a much higher throughput and, and payback on those. So, kind of that's that's my view on on escape rooms as well. Pretty much the same thing. It's and I think escape rooms like they haven't yet started bundling so. An escape room throughputs, it is what it is. There's only so many cycles a day you can do. There's only so many hours a day people would do it. And what do they do after that? They leave. Um, some of the escape rooms on the Strip, I think one at the Venetian has a bar, but it's, it's not a moment that's there, there. It's kind of like, eh, let's just stick a bar on here and like hope people stop at it, and they really don't. 
So once they figure, once the escape rooms figure out, you know, how to bundle, you know, you'll see them as probably still a category that's valid. If there's any other questions out there, usually I'm roaming around with a live mic, but feel free to ask them. Is there any off-strip venues that you know about for music, such as the Brooklyn Bowl, which is not off the strip, but anything you've heard of? I don't know, Randy, is there? Well, we're looking at stuff, definitely. Uh, there will be. Uh, we can't talk about it. Can't that. talk about it, but there will be. We told you you can't say that. You can't talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. There's a question on golf. Obviously, Top Golf kind of led the way. Um, now we have Atomic Golf at the Stratosphere. Tiger Woods is doing something. The Swingers at Mandalay Bay. I think, Frank, you mentioned others. There are others in the category. I and mean, the Water Authority said we can't have golf. Right. <laughs> all in the same program. Luckily, I think other than Tiger Woods, those are all like indoor courses with no real grass. So we're good. Um, there's others out there. There's Putchak and Puttery. I, I think like it's it's a crowded field, um, you know, especially here in Vegas where you've got Top Golf and you've got Atomic, which is doing what they're doing. Puttery's making a huge bet, like it's a huge bet on on, on miniature golf, 50 million, uh, and then you know Tiger Woods doing Pop Stroke at Town Square. The others will probably come, but I'm not sure, you know, if there's room. That that's a category where you know we think everybody looked at the strip and they've done strip proximate deals, like. The guy, the smart guy is going, I'm going to go where there's no, my competition is not there. Head him off at the pass. Frank, we have five minutes left, and you guys can kind of talk about some of the fun stuff. But Frank, probably you most, but what was the, maybe the best deal that came to you that you wanted to happen that didn't happen? And you can go back <laughs> All here. of them? <laughs> not the one that paid the most. Ah. <laughs> uh. I have to think about that one. Repeat the question again, just so I understand it. What is the best deal that didn't happen on the strip, in your opinion? Mm. It was a good product, a good, a good concept. Hmm. We, we can get back to you. Yeah, um, I'm not Michael, sure I can know how to answer what is that the one. craziest ask you've had? <laughs> craziest ask of um, a tenant. I mean, you have axe throwing. So, was I'm, that crazy when they sat down with you the first time? I, I don't think it was ever crazy. They that like. One of the things that, that we try and do as Area 15, that, and this is going to cut across your answer, but we, we don't bring in a whole lot of stuff that's not unproven. Yeah. Dueling Axes had, a, had a, an experience in Columbus, Ohio, that they were already operating. Um, Meow Wolf already had Santa Fe open. Emporium already had Chicago. So as, as crazy as kind of some of the stuff seems by, by kind of putting it in a, in a kind of high visibility market, we are really truly looking for people with proven track records, so um, that that makes it a little less crazy when you put it in the, those terms. I mean, an immersive distillery that's distilling hundred proof rum and doing a circus axe sometimes seems pretty crazy. <laughs> that's good, and that explained a lot about that because a lot of times people come to Las Vegas and they want to plant their flag here first to prove it everywhere else. I'm sure Frank sees that all the time. We see it, but we also see folks that you know it's probably a He's a 50-50 split. We see folks that, that, you know, have a concept that they haven't yet done, but we also see folks that have the concept in another city or come from the U.S., I mean, the U.K. Um, I mean, we work and we have media companies like, you know, Michael was alluding to that they're big, huge conglomerates, but it's their first 
time running their own IP in a physical location. LBE means location-based entertainment, which really just means it's entertainment that you're participating in that's in a location other than your home. LBE, it's pretty simple. But most of these, most of these media companies license their IP, like the song, it, the, the, the IP there is, 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 they're not running those, um, they're licensing it. Is it too soon for a question on Tillman Fertitta's casino on the Strip for any plans he has? Well, he's not affiliated with us, uh, but... <laughs> I wasn't uh, asking you, I was asking I'm Frank, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know, like, I, I haven't seen plans. He's got a, like a, like a you know, footprint site that he's going to put really high density on, similar to, like, density of Cosmo. So it's going to be vertical. He has his own brands, like, so it's all going to be in-house. I'm sure he'll do a great job. Any other questions from the audience? We're going to bring Reed up and end this. Thank you, Mariana. Happy birthday. Big hand for Ariba. Yeah. That was an awesome program. Uh, this panel, these guys are experts. Uh, you can only find that here at NAP. Really great job, guys. I think this is a panel I think everyone's going to want back at some point so we could hear about all the stuff that Randy won't talk about right now. Uh, Dan, Mariana, and the whole committee, great job on this. And we'll see everyone next month on third Thursday right here at the Orleans. Thank you, SNWA, for breakfast sponsorship. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like this show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.